0: Kaveh. So what are some really important things from this coronavirus that you feel are the most important for people to take away from this conversation today?
1: So a few things that I would really want everyone to really take home is if you don't have symptoms, that doesn't mean you don't have it. So we should all be acting like we're 80 year olds who have three comorbidities and will die from it. If that's what it's going to take for us to truly be isolated. Because if you're asymptomatic, you're still a carrier and it, should, it seems to be that the younger someone is, the more they are less like sorry the more they are likely to not show any symptoms but be carriers of it, especially children who are being held by, by parents and people who are older than them, who they can then infect and then they can have more serious expressions of, uh, of this virus. Next thing is when you're exposed through any of your uh, the, like your, your head holes, your eyes, your nose, your mouth, you are introduced the opportunity for one taking it to somewhere else or taking it in so we want to limit the amount of touching that we do of our face be mindful of it there's this video that this doctor epidemiologist did that he taped his shoulder his elbows and anytime he caught his hand coming there it would pull on his elbows so much that like you couldn't actually touch your face and he's saying if that's what it takes you may need to do that the next thing is if you don't if from the time you get uh, exposed on average, five to six people, uh, it takes five to six days, sorry, for you to start having symptoms, but you can have it up to 15 days later. So you can still be infective and getting other people sick up until your first symptoms were then you're triggered to take a quarantine, it go- to go into quarantine, whereas we should have probably been operating like that from the very start. And we should all be doing this collectively at the same time too. The thing that this virus does that's really interesting is on day nine, on average, people start getting infections into the blood, or they start getting very short of breath. By day 12, they go into what's called acute respiratory distress syndrome, which is when the lungs are just so invaded by the immune system that the person can't properly oxygenate. So the air that's coming in gets to these beautiful bubbles, these things called alveoli that transfer the oxygen into the body and then the the carbon dioxide out. They're not able to do the transferring. And so people crash really quickly and you're seeing them gasping for air. For those that do get a mechanical ventilator or, intu- or, or respiratory support, they go into ICU. And the people on the 15th day, it seems to be hitting the heart where they get 38 to 33% of them are getting either myocarditis or cardiomyopathy, which is an enlargement of the heart or an inflammation of the heart. On the 17th day, on average, they're seeing a secondary bacterial infection come in really hurt people. So these are things that are downstream that makes the the battle even more painful for people who are already down and getting kicked. So we need to be even more mindful about people who do have weakened immune systems to be in isolation and aware and uh, away from others who are maybe one not taking it seriously or who are younger and still have to be exposed to us to other people. If you have traveled recently you should definitely be isolating. If you're a healthcare worker you should probably be isolating yourself. And again, the greatest invitation would be for all of us to, to isolate ourselves from one another as much as possible and from new exposures as much as possible. We're making excuses to just see our friend because we haven't in a while. We're doing a disservice to us, to yourself first, because you don't know where your friend has been. So please be mindful that we can apply these things because this, the data is changing and the studies like are showing new, new symptoms like sudden loss of smelling and taste. What a bizarre symptom, but I've heard three of my friends who have had this suddenly in the city and then one of them has tested positive. And then we and then the other things that the only reason anyone should be going to the ER is for shortness of breath, chest pain or profound fatigue or hallucinations. I say or 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 for us to create a good space between. It doesn't mean this plus this plus this Mm. other than that. Go to screening centers for fever, cough, that's it, but then, and then stay at home the rest of the time and optimize your immune system any way you can.
0: You hear that, everybody? That's a doctor speaking. Listen to your doctor. He's in the front lines. You got to take these precautions. It could save a lot of lives, so make sure. If you need to go listen to it again, write it down. This is super, super important, and there's no better source than an ER doctor telling you this. So listen up with lots of love to you Welcome to the University of Adversity. Oh, hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. If you're new to University of Adversity, welcome to the family. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. Truly blessed to have you guys taking your time out of your day to do this. Listen to us. I honestly believe that you're going to get a ton of value from this. And if I could highly suggest getting some sort of writing device and a notepad or Get your phone ready to take notes, a computer, whatever you use to take notes. I highly recommend doing it for this one. We have Kaveh Kavusi joining us. He is an emergency room doctor in Toronto. He's been on the front line since day one. He's also one of my fit for service brothers, the Aubrey Marcus mastermind that I'm on this year. He's one of the brothers there and he is just so intelligent and full of knowledge and so much value. So if you're not following him, make sure you go follow him on Instagram. The guy has just done a phenomenal job with getting information out to people from the source. You know, he he works these long ass shifts. I don't know, I think he worked 19 days in a row and he still has the time to show up on lives and educate people and just be the bright light everybody needs. There's so much bullshit advice out there, and it's so great when you hear it from an actual emergency room doctor. So I'm just, i just so grateful to have him on today. Also, there was a couple things that we didn't cover that we forgot, so I wanted to cover these real quick. One of the things that we talked about was this virus can live in the freezer for up to two years. Isn't that insane? Make sure you guys are wiping down everything Cardboard, all that stuff. You got to just be really mindful of the cleanliness. As you guys know, I know I'm just I'm just kind of repeating what we've been told, but sometimes we need to be told a couple more times, right? That's pretty crazy about the freezer, but anyways. So we get into everything, and we also talk about what happens when we get cooped up in these situations. We have a bit of a laugh and. It's important to have a laugh during these times as well, guys. You know, we we get serious and we grip things pretty tight, no pun intended. And we, uh, <laughs> oh man, you guys are going to love this episode because we talk about that kind of stuff too. It's important to have a laugh. It's important to just realize that we're still human beings and we're still just trying to figure it out. And although it's great to educate ourselves the best we can, do the best we can, we can't control everything. We just got to allow this to be the medicine that we need. It's happening. Let's, let's, let's lean into it. Let's do the best we can with the tools and the advice from credible sources that we have. So enjoy. I know you guys will. If you guys haven't already, make sure you subscribe. And do me one favor. If you got value from this, take a screenshot, share it with a friend. Do something after this. Maybe sit... Think about the episode with your notes and then go, huh, how can I get this episode into somebody's life? Think about that. Or if you can leave a review, we would appreciate it as well. This is, this is the ripple effect that we want to have the show to have. So get it, we want to get it into as many people's lives as possible. So I thank you ahead of time. Appreciate you guys. Sit back, relax. Kaveh Kuvusi coming right up. The man, the myth, the legend. Kaveh, how you doing, bro?
1: Amazing, dude. Just woke up from a little nap after 19 days straight of going. I woke up, had a call earlier, and then went right back to sleep and woke up to make sure that I make it for this chat.
0: Dude, thank you. I just want to say, start this off by saying thank you because I have been trying, anybody that I've been talking to lately, I'm directing them to go to your Instagram because you're you're just showing up with such value and, and educating people with what you're doing, you're on the front lines, you know, like, I can't even imagine what you must be going through, but what you've been able to give back during all this has been fucking incredible, bro. Like, and to hear what's been going on and how this is evolving, yet you're still able to keep some sort of normalcy Well, you appear to be. And, you know, and I was just so excited to, because we've been, I wanted to have you on the show, but what better time than now, right during all this fucking chaos going on? And what better person than somebody that's in the ER as a doctor seeing this? So thank you so much for joining us, brother.
1: Uh-huh. My pleasure, dude. And like the universe aligned this, I guess, this way. And how great is it that you the name of your, of this podcast is the University of Adversity, because we have an adversity that exists outside of us that's forcing us to confront the adversity that exists within our minds, right? And it's really forcing our hand in such a beautiful way, but also challenging way because our preservation is challenged here. But this psychology of self-preservation here has been a battle that we've been going through for a very long time. But this is our first generational experience that we're all sharing in a potent time that allows us to reevaluate the adversities here. Maybe we can come to terms with them and then really attack this thing on the outside with the most of us that is unburdened and like coming from a real place of love and not from fear.
0: Yeah. And you're really noticing it out there. The people that are operating from fear, there's a lot. And, and it's, it's because they don't really have the tools, right? I mean, this has been, it was such a sudden thing. Yeah. This just happened overnight. I mean, I remember hearing about this, even, even in Tulum, when we were in Tulum in Mexico, You know, we heard about it. It was kind of like, "What's this this thing?" Right? Yeah. And it was kind of. I was just as guilty as saying it's just like one of those other things that we've been told to fear over the years. Mm. And then all of a sudden, I start to hear it from. I I think you were the one talking about talk. See what Peter Atia is saying, and then I was like, "Okay, Peter Atia." And then I started listening what you're saying. I'm like, "Okay, we got Mm. something here that is." You know, when people that I trust are saying to start to learn and educate yourself on this, then we got to listen. So where are we at and walk us through a bit of your journey, but what the fuck has been going on?
1: Uh, Well, when you brought up uh, fit for service, uh, our first meeting, like we, me and Lance, we met in fit for service, which is this mastermind of people coming together to be of service for the greater good, starting with ourselves, but like really helping the world. And Lance is doing this. This is the service that he is providing so beautifully. And when I was flying down to Mexico, which was at the start of February, I'd been in Alberta before and I was wearing my mask when I was flying already because I was aware of this thing. And I'm like, this is a time bomb for us to come here. But I felt like I would be seen as alarmist. So I was mindful about not really hammering that out. But something inside of me was brewing and I was starting to speak about it more with my colleagues. But it didn't really hit home about the severity of it until about four weeks ago for me. Uh, we have a large Italian community in in Toronto. And I was starting to hear little pockets of stories about how people are getting smashed there, but more so how the healthcare system was getting overwhelmed way too quickly. Mm-hmm. Then, when I started really looking at the pathophysiology of how this virus gets in and really attacks, how it's really effective in making sure that it continues to survive. Because this is a virus, just like us, it wants to survive, right? So it is propagating the way that it can. And it's brilliant that how it leverages us and is it it hides and then it really smashes. So the alarms really started sounding a month ago. And as of us recording this today, we're just shy of 400,000 people that are confirmed infected, but the number we need to be looking at is the number of deaths. And that number is going to be exponentially increasing for the time being. We're at, I think about 16,400 at the time of us recording this. So yeah. So what, is has been such a a big shift for, for me to really be seeing is how people are really taking notice. And in these moments, in these times, people leverage without even knowing it, what consensus agreement is. And I was, I've mentioned this, uh, I mentioned this at our workshop that we did, but it's so important for us to recognize that consensus agreement is I am a doctor. I have health information. You're more likely to believe a doctor regarding health information than a garbage man, for example. Not that the garbage man is not informed, but because I have the title of this, now I what I say is going to be agreed upon more by many people. So then when I say something, anything, if it's health-related, through the suggestibility of me saying it and your mind agreeing to it, you're more likely to think it's real. So when I started talking about it, and Peter started talking about it, and all the other health people started talking about it, it became real really quickly, and I almost didn't believe my words sometimes, but now I'm so deep in it. And this is important for us to be leveraging it because like you, you're, you're, you're using a social medium to really reach out to people. And this is the only way we get through the message that everyone here is individually part of the solution and part of the medicine. And I am just getting familiar with using this platform to speak out. So, but there's no better time than now. So thank you for allowing me to be a vehicle through that as we invite people into this dude.
0: Yeah man no I, I appreciate it and I kind of feel like right now is a time where we got to use this is our time to step up with what we have as tools and I've been feeling that this is my time to step up as a human and really do what I can because you know I'm not a doctor I'm not but what I can do is do what we're doing and do it the best I can and I think it's important for people to know that there's going to be people that are going to need some light. They're going to need inspiration. They're going to need whatever medicine you have that you've been holding in to give. So I feel for me, I had the call right when this, this kicked in, I was going through a big slump, bro, real big slump with booze and really dark time, even during Tulum. And I finally felt like I was out of that. Boom. Then this came, it was like, I stepped in all of a sudden I felt this sense of like awakening of, of finally that going away. But then, all of a sudden this, this, this issue came up and then now I'm like, okay, but I feel better than I did before. Like I felt a shift, which is really bizarre mm. as to like, you think a situation like this comes and it's like, it's going to make you feel worse, but I actually felt more empowered. And I felt like, oh, this is my, I'm getting the nudge to kind of step up and do what I can. And seeing people like yourself, like I feel like you're showing that as well. Like you're really, you're showing the, like what you're going through and the experiences of of this day to day, which is like, I can't even imagine like what you must be going through as far as what you've seen. Mm. You know, how has that been for you on the day to day? Like, because one minute we're watching sports, you know, I was watching I was watching the NBA one night and and Oilers were playing, and then the next day it's canceled, and then that's when shit got real. And then I started to listen to people like yourself, and I was like, oh fuck, this is like this is getting serious. Like, walk us through your journey of what you've been what you've been going through here on a day-to-day?
1: Well, dude, if there's a message to be getting out there right now, all of the majority, well, a big portion of the majority of people's diversions are gone. Sports is a diversion. We call it entertainment, but it diverts us from really spending any time with ourselves. Yeah. Because so many of the diversions have been put to the side where people are protecting themselves, but now, whoa, that's where I used to go. These are the places I used to go. These are the people I used to hang out with this becomes such a potent time for us to go through the withdrawal of all of those things yeah. and also the time to really sit and be with ourselves. And I, I can only imagine like what every individual healthcare worker has been going through because I know I see with love that a lot of them who went in there with really good good intentions to heal ended up getting stuck in the, the hamster, uh, just getting in, into the rat race of the finances. Of the notoriety of being a specialist versus a generalist and then the psychology plays there where the person has a a certain level with love of chronic self-neglect and now it's sort of burnt themselves out and then we come into a point where now you're being called to duty almost like to the front lines we're being called the front lines right but everyone is the front lines as much as we are we're just seeing people when they're at their sickest and i'm i'm seeing the humility or sorry humanity of the physicians, the nurses, the entire hospital staff that feels overwhelmed and imminently at times powerless for what is coming if we don't shift the curve about what is happening right now with the numbers, with the amount of more people that are getting infected. So my hopeful awareness causes me to recognize what the possibility is by taking action and not taking action. Then I intentionally step into places of inviting people relentlessly into how they can be the medicine. So just like you, they step into recognizing I am more powerful than I thought. They get into greater awareness of how they can be medicine for this and how we can not just mitigate, but suppress people that are going to die. It's just, it's going to be an interesting psychology because man, nobody, we are not primed to do an action and then not have a reward. Our reward is going to be not, not having people die, not having a system be overloaded, not making money. So it's like our psychology is going to be like, oh, I must feel good about this thing. But it's, it's a challenging psychology. But when I think about winning a lottery ticket, this is the lottery ticket that many people have been wanting for when we think that it was the money that we wanted to win. This is the potent time where all of the things that you have in your life have the opportunity to be re-questioned, and if I'm sitting at home, sitting with this medicine, wow, if I because I can either lean into my diversions or I can lean into myself, and there's the, the major, vast majority of people are going to come onto the other side of it, but there's no, we're not going back to normal. It's going to be like flying before 9/11 and flying after 9/11 like very different yeah. flight experiences, right? So this is going to be the same thing too as our human experience. And I'm being mindful about holding space for the healthcare providers, doing what I can trying to procure like personal protective equipment. Cause that's one of the most scary things that you can go into a place when you're well-intended to help someone, all of your habits say, help the person neglect yourself. Now it's protect myself first, go in and help the person. Now I'm late. They have less chance of surviving. There's a lot of things that are being rewired here, but I want to be the medicine out there as much as for everyone else and for myself too.
0: Well, where do you see that now and how important it is for people in your line of work? Cause a lot of people are, you know, they go to school, they become doctors, but they don't have the tools to navigate through the actual shit. If shit goes sour, you know, like you got, they, they, they can fix, they can, they can, you know, work in the, on what they're doing. But like, as far as dealing with the actual emotions, And like, how important is it now? Are you seeing that not many people have those tools or do they, or you, is everybody coming to you for help because you obviously have them and this is, you have the tools.
1: And I I would love for everyone to have had the quality of life experiences and traumatic uh, perceptions that I've had in their own way for them to have regained the importance of recognizing that in whatever I do in my life, I maintain my sense of humanness, my sense of my being. If we can apply all of that, we'll do a lot of things that self-sacrifice us at the expense of ourselves. If we're self-sacrificing while being mindful of ourselves, that's a much different shift and it's just not taught. And I, f- I felt like a lot of my, my privileged times of isolation and the hardships that I went through forced me to either divert or look at the tools and and really uh, acquire them and work on them myself and I caught I I started becoming more and more aware that every time I'm diverting myself I'm doing myself a disservice and it's it's very challenging to not get blended into doing that because most diversions feel a lot better but usually if I'm feeling better I should be looking the other way at what I'm feeling like feeling away from so I, I, one thing that I'm going to, I see is so powerful here is during and after I'm going to be holding a lot more space for healthcare providers as much as Mm. for, for people too like healing the healers. I I keep thinking about that, but now this is going to be even more potent because there's going to be a lot of people on the front lines that are going to be making some very difficult decisions. Like Lance healthcare workers are going to, we're going to have to be getting into teams at times and saying, this person probably won't live. Let's just make them comfortable this person's probably not going to live. Okay. This one has a chance. Let's do everything we can. And it takes a real psychological toll. And this is like, it's creating pre-traumatic stress as opposed to post-traumatic stress. Cause we know imminently we're going to have to look in someone's eyes and say, we can't, I can't do anything for you. You're on your own. And it's such a, oh, yeah, man, it's such a like heavy thing to think about to be aware
0: of yeah man it's i can't i can't even imagine you know it's uh but you that's where it's that i don't think people take it seriously enough on how important the skills are to deal with this stuff like the grief and the trauma right yeah not many people have that ability they're book smart very intellectual but they don't know how to navigate through what you guys are going through like I want to. I want you to just walk us through your last two weeks. Sure. What does your day look like? Like for somebody that gets the call, there's this pandemic. You're an ER doctor. What does that look like? Walk us through that on yeah. from from morning till night.
1: Okay. So if it's been two weeks, that would mean i I was on my fifth day of work because I I think I mentioned I just did 19 days straight and this is my first day off right now, but um. For myself, and I can't speak to everyone, I start every morning with no-tech MJD, which is meditate, journal, dance. No technology right in the morning. Like Kyle Dow says, start your morning by paying yourself first. So I I do that because I know that the majority of the day, the rest of it is going to be very challenging information that's changing minute by minute, and I have to be mindful about my safety as much as everyone else in the ER. And as I'm driving up there, I'm listening to podcasts on this, with like from people that are credible or reputable. Tim Ferriss is having great guests, and Harris is having great guests. Yeah. And Peter Atia as well. So I'm listening just to a concentrated amount. Joe Rogan had Michael Erstrom, Orlstrom, who was amazing as well too. Yeah. And that was early in the, this, to just have a, a sense of awareness. So I would have artillery when I'm getting to the hospital, which is waiting for guidelines to come for us to change things. So minute by minute, we were saying, People who are travel first are the only exposures, then travel exposure came like three days later, but we weren't allowed to ask that question before. So now all these people got through and were exposed to the rest of the healthcare providers without any protective equipment. Then the next day it changes to community acquired potentially. And this is around all of the hospitals, probably in North America and around the world too, but specifically us. So I was always mindful about, we're asking all the questions and everyone is coronavirus until proven otherwise. So I've been wearing a mask to protect myself as much as possible and I've seen like the the nurses having challenge of waiting to take action before the guidelines change and then us being mindful that there's only a certain amount of supplies that are available some hospitals only have seven days of pr- personal protective equipment available right now and this is going to be for months and what happened with China like stifling their shipments and the them saying like we need to keep our equipment for us first uh, it has delayed a lot of the materials coming here, so it makes going to work even a little bit more scary, a little bit more challenging. But we've had to reshuffle how all the rooms are going to be used um, because if this is airborne, we're, we're at risk of being exposed, and that can knock us off. And at the same time, man, a lot of people were going away for March break, spring break, I, and I empathize with them. But while they were gone, like, of course, trip with your family. They were told that they would have to come back for a 14-day quarantine. So my hospital and many other hospitals had a, maybe 20 to 30 percent of the, the the healthcare workers get put on quarantine, and then it put a lot more strain on the other physicians. But I was ready to to rise up to it. There's nothing more important to me right now than this. So we've been having more and more people coming in with symptoms or symptoms like, and we have to be more. We have to be so vigilant with education about what you should actually be going to the hospital first. And maybe I'll mention that really quickly. If you have fever and cough, that's not a reason to go to the hospital. If you have fever, cough, but you have the main thing, shortness of breath, shortness of breath is the only reason we should technically be going to the hospital right now. Or if we're wiped out, exhausted, wiped out, not just tired, but wiped out, exhausted or chest pain. That's pretty much it. Or if you're hallucinating someone else will probably be bringing you in for that. That is the only reasons anyone should be going to the hospital outside of like a broken bone or other things like that, because we've been having to lovingly ask people to leave, but Toronto is, seems to be ramping up pretty well and we're getting screening centers set up. And I'm really hoping that with the messaging that I'm doing, that's being well received by the city and it can disseminate to the rest of the world that people isolating and self-isolating and quarantining themselves and I know it's challenging with many people that are in the house will ultimately end up hitting the system a lot harder because the surge capacity of people coming in right now is going to be insane. And I think the psychology of a lot of the healthcare workers is going to shift. And dude, I'm, you know, me, I, I have some tools, but I'm still fearful, but I'm not, I'm choosing not to be led by it. I'm aware of it, but I'm not led by it. And I think that's one of the important things that I'm going, I keep reiterating with my team. And I think that brings us back into and I'm doing some breath work with them. So let's keep doing that.
0: Oh, man, they need you for sure. That's so important to have that leadership. You know, when shit hits the fan. Yeah. It's, um, if there's no better person to do it than you, bro. Like, that's, that's why I feel to have them have you as their leader, bro. Like, I yeah. mean, it's, and but for you, though, itself, like you're still a human. How are you dealing with it personally though? Like you come home, you just saw all this crazy shit. Like how do you decompress, man? Like how, like, wh- how are you, how are you dealing with this, man? Like I can't even, I can't even really express my words to even try and comprehend. Been
1: positive. It changes the psychology because now you're suddenly saying, am I infected? And maybe I'm just asymptomatic and this is coming up. So now this is my first day off. And I don't have the diversion of work, so I'm a bit more present for the thoughts that are fearful that are running through my mind. So I'm spending time and holding space for it. Because if you leave anything in your mind, this is outside of pandemics, but in, in, especially in this, if you leave anything unaddressed and unacknowledged, unseen, unheard, it's going to continue compounding itself and then show its, itself in really messy ways. So today, next day, the day after, I'm really, I'm setting up times with healers or people who can hold space for me in order to really shed a lot of this off. And then the rest of the time is dancing. I've been dancing for probably an hour total here today and uh, really shaking off a lot of the stuff and then journaling the rest of the time and eating clean. Like I I have a broth a day, the very least. Yeah, broth a day, like eating the cleanest that I can. Like how would you, if you... If this, were, if this was happening for you and not happening to you, are you really present for all of the lessons? And can you really do a reframing of every single experience that you're having in this moment? So am I being intentional about my food? Am I being intentional for my sleep? Am I being intentional with the connections that I'm having? Am I being intentional with implementing the precautions that I'm warning others myself, even though I long for it? Like, dude, I haven't been in contact with a human being in like two weeks now. I see my parents. My mom so lovingly she'll drop off food on a road. She'll drive half an hour west to meet me at a road so I can drive by and I'll keep six feet from her. She'll give me food that I can throw out, and then she'll give some to the hospital, like serve them as well. But I'm seeing my mom and dad, and like I'm like I would love to hug them and kiss them in this moment, but I can't. Mm -hmm. So it's I'm I'm aware of my humanness and my drive that wants to be feeling human, but I know that there's a duty that calls that's a little bit past that and i'm holding space for this as much as i can and you and i both know when we delay things there's this slingshot of a contrast that puts us into this like basking of appreciation on the other side like i know the next time i'm going to hug someone maybe it'll be you it's going to be like the most delicious human experience again yeah,
0: yeah.
1: right now i gotta just hug myself
0: right man it's, it's <laughs> that's so true bad. that's so true man it's um I think we're all going to appreciate when things are back to normal. Like we don't know. That's, I guess my next question where we sit, where we sit right now on how long, you know, again, guys, March 24th, we're recording this. So from where we're at, what are we looking at? If you had to all the information you've heard, what are we looking at as far as this going on as a timeline ballpark?
1: Well, all of the data shows that if we, don't adhere to anything and we all get smashed at once 30 to 70 percent of people will get sick and a 90 million people around the world will die if we were to not adhere to anything now that we're starting to apply things of uh, like the the methods that work like self-isolation or quarantining we do see that there is a flattening of the curve the flattening of the curve just means a delay for people to still 30 to 70% still get sick before this disseminates, but then there 45 million people still die. If we went into complete suppression, where all of us together around the world right now decided we're staying in our homes for the next month, month, still sounds like a crazy long time. Over the next three weeks, we're going to see an insane amount of people that are going to be hurt and killed dying from this because of the over the surge and just people not being supported and just think when people are being isolated, there are old people at home that people are staying away from that they're not able to check it up on. And they're, they are passing there if they're potentially exposed, but the number goes down to about 2.2 million globally, just still a crazy amount of, of people. We can even get down to a few hundred thousands. If you went into strict, strict, strict isolation, like Chinese draconian, Chinese draconian, like measures where they were boarding some people into the house, arresting and holding people at gunpoint if they were out of their houses. That's how we would really mitigate this. But the Imperial College of United Kingdom on March 17th, where I'm speaking about the majority of data, which they did use some, they, they were using the extremes, but the, these are probably how it's going to play out. They did invite that it's going to be, we're going to have to do it in waves of maybe one to two months of break, two months of like we're in isolation one month back for the economic support, and then two months, and we keep doing this in pulses until it gets less and less and less. But the biggest thing that we can do to ever prevent this from happening again, SARS specifically, is stop eating horseshoe bats, please. These exotic bats are natural reservoirs of SARS-CoV, which is severe acute respiratory distress, coronavirus. And these viruses, are, it's a pandemic time bomb that we've known about since at least 2007. But we still eat them as an exotic animal, especially in Asia and China. So if we were to mitigate that, that would be the step one of us ever preventing, like preventing a pandemic like this ever coming up again. But this can easily stretch 18 months, man. Wow.
0: Okay, here's my question. So I'm so fascinated why... Some people get symptoms and some people don't. Would yeah. you, what Would you? is your theory on this so far? Is it generally the healthier immune system or like versus the, like how, what is the reason that you're seeing or the similarities in people getting the symptoms? I've heard all kinds of conspiracies, which must drive you nuts as well, like hearing these different things. But like, what is the reason? Is it come down to a healthy immune system versus one that's compromised as far as like the depth of your symptoms or can it be a really healthy human, you know, like ourselves, I I think that we're pretty healthy on the scale of things getting it. Like where, where are you with that?
1: I would love for it to be clean cut and for us to say, yes, if you're healthy, you're not going to be as affected. And if you're older, you're going to be affected but that's just protecting myself and I feel compassion for the people in the older communities or older populations who have no control over that, but suddenly they're at higher risk. But it looks like the numbers that are hurting people are the older, it it is people in the over 60 especially, especially over 70s and 80s, but the comorbidities. But I can tell you, man, it's not choosing, no one is safe fully from this. I've seen a 28-year-old doctor who passed who had no past medical history. A 34-year-old out in California like five days ago who with no past medical history, who was a friend of a friend of mine who passed from the coronavirus. Not not asthmatic, nothing whatsoever. Very like athletic as well, too. Seen forty-seven year olds, fifty-two-year-olds. Being seen like there there's these young people that you're yeah. thinking, okay, we're immune are still getting crushed by this so man i i I, that makes me fear like i can hear my words and i can feel my body have this like this tightening up as i say that no one seems to be protected but what we can do is definitely optimize our immune system the best we can because our psychology definitely does have a play with it when you see someone who has a cancer diagnosis and you see that they've given up hope there's a very different outcome compared to when someone still has hope and they have optimism, and they're thinking very differently. And I I think that there's something I hope the medical community doesn't push back, but metaphysical, that's beyond what we can tangibly touch, that said that helps someone uh, survive through this. And I hope it's like optimize their immune system, but hopefully survive through this as well. And we'll only be able to tell in absolute certainty when we're looking in hindsight when this is all complete, man. But we should all operate as if we're 80. If we did that, that we would truly isolate. We should all operate potentially like we have comorbidities. If that's what's going to take for you to apply the things that actually work, then we maybe we should start thinking that way. Like, what does what would eighty year old Lance tell you right now if he was here right now? Like, would he be telling you be way more vigilant, man? We want to live, or would he say, eh, whatever. If it happens to me, I'm okay.
0: No, it it would. Be, I'd be battling with it as to like. No, of course. If if I know if I was 80 and I know that I could get it at that age, I guess where I I'm like I I feel where's the line between fear taking over where it suppresses your immune system so much and you must see it in the because being a doctor, right? A lot of people obviously you have to know the facts, right? We got to learn about this. We can't be stupid and hide in the clouds. But yeah. where's the fine line between knowing what we need to know but then not letting fear take over right because some people that let fear take over i feel would, would i'm not going to say they're going to get it easier but i think i feel like psychologically there has to be some sort of correlation between our our minds or how we how our body operates our immune system like i don't know like it's it's just hard for me to wrap my head around all this you know mm-hmm. and that's why i feel like is it so cut and dry or is there something more to it? Like, I mean, psychologically and and with fear, is fear going to be the thing that allows you to get it, allow it to attack your system further than if you're not in fear? You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, man. Well, (laughs) I'm I'm curious about that too, because I'm thinking, I'm actually thinking more of like vibrationally and I don't know if it's going to resonate with people, but I wonder if some people who are like, so deeply unconscious and unaware of their own life's existence are the ones that are getting the most smashed by this. And then the people that are really living an intentional life that it, they're aware, but maybe a bit more conscious, a bit more aware than the others are not going to be as affected. That's one of the things that I've said, but I wonder if it's yeah. me trying to preserve myself by saying that.
0: I wanted to say that too, but I didn't want to discredit like, you know, cause as a doctor, that's like a complete opposite Thought I know. Process, right.
1: I know. So this, but this is like <laughs> this is this falls into belief system. I'm not speaking about it as truth, but yeah. observationally, yeah. I've seen, I've experienced things in my life that you can't quantify, that has like that you can see observational data that actually supports it, but then you can't reproduce this in studies. I've sat with 25 people before who are all blindfolded, and they've all gotten on the same level in whatever ways that they do, and they all at the exact same minute, exact same moment, raise their hands, turn one hand, turn the other hand, and then look at them through their blindfolds. And I'm looking at one person over there, one person here, one person there. You cannot explain these things with with any study that could reproduce it. But there's observational data that's outside of just me. Someone else was there to witness it as well, too. So if we can get curious about Maybe these people, there's a different frequency that we can be operating from within ourselves. Maybe we can fine tune our immune system in this as well. And I think like stepping into greater senses of intentionality and awareness are how you get to even know your fear in the first place. So like when you're saying if we're operating from fear versus not, are you you proactive or you reactive? Like is a very important thing to differentiate between the two. Are you blended in the feeling or are you witnessing it? Because if you're blended in it, most likely you're operating from fear. Whereas if you're able to witness it and not be a part of it, that's that's someone who has stepped aside from their fear and is aware of it, but not led by it. So I, intentional awareness is probably the most uh, effective way to do that. And if anyone here is listening and hasn't read a book like Anthony DeMello, Awareness, highly recommend. I think I may have mentioned to you that I'm writing a journal right now, uh, Journal, and it's just a like, To step into spaces of intentionality for this very reason so you can be present for like what what i speak to very often is having presence intentionality consciousness and awareness these are the four things that four pillars that if you apply it anywhere you cannot do wrong you can't do wrong and you can be in love and you can see your fear and not be it and right now i'm feeling it over and over again that i just keep applying it in this pandemic and I, I'm able to be fully present for myself, intentional in my actions, conscious about what the repercussions can be, and fully aware of my my experience and my circumstance of my internal state as well as my external. So I'd invite others into that as well too.
0: Is there a guilty pleasure during all this on your day off that you're like a pizza or like ice cream or something that you're gonna? <laughs> I'm just curious because you know you're 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 in this pizza this environment.
1: Like it sounds amazing right now that you said that. <laughs> like the guilty pleasures are the ones that like I can't lean into right now. Like yeah. I can't have human connection right yeah, now. that's and true. That's right, one of the the greatest human sources of relief. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if that's polite to say, <laughs> is human contact, human connection. And right now I'm looking at people through screens. I don't engage in looking at porn. Cause I, I know that that's just a deep diverter that it's like it does myself a disservice. So I'm mindful not to, but like my brain has thought, maybe dude, it's time to override that little thing that you've got within yourself. Even though it's a ritual, maybe you should look at it. And I, I haven't yet, but it's on the mind, but now this guilt, it, it sounds like an invitation.
0: <laughs> Porn. Let's talk about that. Because uh, I think it's an elephant in the room. A lot of people don't talk about. Hmm including myself. I've talked about it a few times, but walk us through a little bit more depth on this, on this conversation, on this subject, because this is a thing that needs to be addressed more. And I feel like you'll be the person to really shine some light on what is actually happening. Hmm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all
1: right. Well, <laughs> the majority of people use porn as a way to outlet a source of a deep-seated pain that they have within themselves. And it's masked as, oh, I'm getting off. But what you're getting off of is the train of processing that really gives space to, to acknowledge that deep pain that we have, which is lack of worthiness, lack of sexual desirability, lack of being uh, wanted, lack of uh, attractiveness, all of these things that it gets completely satiated and extinguished, sorry, not satiated in a moment when we do engage in porn but it's if you engage in porn unintentionally which is what we majority the majority of us do is that it when it ends up being a disservice porn can end up being a very beautiful ritual and experience if you're intentional about everything where you're like i'm leaning into this once in a while not to get away from anything but to really nurture myself i recognize that in this moment of isolation that I have to distance myself from human contact, but you know what, I still appreciate sexuality and I want to experience it that way. The problem is if you divert and you use it unintentionally, your body keeps the score. And what happens with men at the very least is they lose their tumescence, which is the girth and the fullness of of their penis when they're watching porn because their brain is getting hit with the dopamine aspect of the pornographic experience. That's not in line with people like the true play and dance that real intimacy has. So they're, they're 44% on average less tumescent. And for a man to, if he were to stop porn, it's age specific, but it takes 20 to 45 days for us to regain our girth from once we stop watching porn for us to get back to our normal girth. Uh, sorry, a normal tumescence really but what ends up ha- another thing that's crazy with porn and I'm sure you of this too is it changes the narrative and dialogue and story that we have when we're getting into bed with a, a partner of our own because we have expectations that we create that are not in reality about how to hold space for someone mm. or what to how to speak about what we would uh, like to experience or expectations that we have Whereas when you're on watching porn, you're just catering to the thing that hits you the highest, hits you the quickest, and it doesn't actually nurture what the true progression of an intimate experience is. So it ultimately ends up being a disservice for you and your partner. If he or she is watching porn, it ultimately ends up being a disservice for them. If I can quickly talk, if we're talking about porn, we should talk about the toys that people are using. These toys are overstimulating genitals. And they're they're mutilating them almost but not actually mutilating in the like the physical sense but this the nerve endings are so overstimulated that it's very difficult for people to have true experiences that they are able to really immerse themselves in with another human being because they've been over overrided so i invite everyone here be aware of your toy indulge it from once in a while once in a while if you really want to but do it intentionally in a way that still honors what your natural process is going to be, because you really want to be fully present for yourself and for your partner when you are together. And if you guys both decided to consciously uncouple from porn, <laughs> I don't know if that's a thing. It will be, and it'll end up being such a beautiful service for both you guys, and you guys are really going to uh, be a lot more present for one another.
0: I like this, that we're talking about this right now because everybody's in at home, right? And yeah, the, the problem I have with working at home is see, this doesn't change much for me, but it's a distraction of things like porn is just such an easy gateway to distract you from what needs to happen. And I feel like there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be playing and dancing with the getting work done, doing this, doing that, because there's so much at home time, right? So I think it's yeah. important. To really have the intention of like, why are you doing this? You know, like I, for me, I'm like, shit, I gotta, I gotta, I don't want to do this. I better watch some porn.
1: Yeah. But (laughs) catch that. So you have an opportunity to create that space where you're like, I have awareness that this is a diversion. What am I getting away from? And look at that. Because now, now it's time. This is, this is the time, the most potent time to actually look at that. Because most of the diversions that we were getting away from out there are effectively still out there and we can't go to them. But porn is, it's a device away. It's a screen away. And like, so can you really exercise your own courage to get to know, to not lean into that and to get to know what you're getting away from? Because then when you unburden that, you you can go to porn still, but you're not going to go on behalf of the diversion that you're getting away from. This is like, this is how you get aware of your parts. Because there's a part of you that's saying, ah, I'm feeling a deep discomfort. Like what do I do? And you you just know that this is the habitual thing that has extinguished this this part of you from really expressing itself. But this is the time for us to get to know our parts. And this is the first time I think I've mentioned parts the entire talks. So. I
0: love it, man. I love it because this is this is so important. It's things that don't get talked about. And my next point is, you know, when Aubrey was talking about going celibate, this was something that I battled with as well a lot. Because there's that there's the the argument of charging that energy, right, that sexual energy, you know, from Think and Grow Rich and all of this different, using that sex energy to to fuel your creativity. So yeah. I've been dancing back and forth, like, is it better for you to, you know, people say, oh no, you know, uh, releasing is 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 good for you. It's it's good for your well-being. But then some say, well, no, you want to use it to charge it up because most people don't ever allow themselves to get that charge because eventually it's got to go somewhere so it goes into your creativity where are you at with this and i just love that we're talking about this because this is something (laughs) i don't talk about very often
1: oh me too dude well let me ask you where do you where do you feel do you feel more creative or less creative after well
0: i haven't even got to the point where i've allowed that to to even happen past two Uh, weeks like i'm you know a week 10 days well even when aubrey was saying he made like eight days right like yeah just like having that so that it's not even an option and allowing it to go into creativity. Like, how many people actually try that out? I mean, how many people have actually given that a go? It's, yeah. it's, 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 it's it, I've always been toying with it. And as well as going celibate and thinking about, is this a good idea? Like, do you pick up the energies of these different people? Is it fucking with your whole aura? You know, do you hold on to the things or? These are the things that I dance with and think about a lot all the time. So I'm really curious to hear where you're at with all this kind of stuff.
1: Well, dude, if we're stepping into celibacy, let's say, if are we doing it because we're shaming ourselves because of the things that we did before, and now we're trying to punish ourselves for it, or are we trying to nurture ourselves and shift the energy that we have within us into other places? Because if we start having invasive sexual thoughts, which are very natural to have, we start punishing ourselves for having these. Or shaming ourselves, or telling ourselves, "I will not honor you," without explaining why to ourselves, we're doing ourselves a disservice. Whereas, if you recognize that right now I have a responsibility, like people have invasive thoughts at work, they don't just take their dick out and start beating their (laughs) their nut at the cash register. So I don't know. know We we still have an internal uh, capacity to control ourselves, but. But be mindful of you recognizing the next time it comes up. I'm recognizing this internal drive that's really screaming at me to to be intimate. I'm I'm horny. Where can I shift this energy to towards me? And then you're going to see the creativity being used. Otherwise, if you don't acknowledge it and become intentionally present with the, the internal dialogue, you're going to feel the overwhelming urge that's eventually going to pull you to a porn website. And next thing you know, you're laying on your bed and saying hello. To to euphoria for 15 seconds. Yeah, like and then diverting yourself so I, I think that if celibacy is great, but prime yourself with the Intentionality that's behind it for where you want to shift the energy throughout because I've been very present for where this energy is and in my the intimate experiences that I step into I've Really if, if there's a the beautiful exchange that's happened there's you it, it's not like one and done it's one and bask and you just stay and you feel the energy going up and down your body and really soaking it in i think this is what the the tantric artists or workers speak of where they speak of prana and i'm i don't know if you have heard of prana i don't even know if i've, I'm I've, using that I've word, heard right? it I,
0: I don't really i don't really know much about it or you know i've heard the well, word
1: the next time i'd invite anyone here the next time that they you you do have an orgasm of any kind sit with it just feel through your entire body as that experience happens whether you're male or female especially men because we really don't give ourselves permission to do that we'll complete and then we'll go to the next thing right away or we'll maybe catch our breath and go and wipe off but no sit and stay and bask with yourself feel through all of your humanness because you just tapped into one of the fringes of the gifts that we have that we can experience in this human life where we can feel so dark and negative and nothingness all the way to apathy for an entire lifetime and it's and stretch that to the other side which is a euphoric experience in the form of an orgasm can you be present for that and really just bask all of it in because the more you you give yourself permission to the more you'll allow yourself to be in it more often and the people around you will take notice too but of of you being a lot more present in things. And I think this is just like, a, it's, it's a result of how we operate in society where we act, 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 go, 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 do, do, do. And like even intimacy and sex has become that it's do next thing come next thing. No, no, no. Let's come and stay. Let's
0: mm.
1: have an orgasm and bask let's have an orgasm and really sit in peace with this and feel through all of your humanness. I think like these are like opportunities for us to feel all of us. And I'd invite you into that the next time that it does happen.
0: Well, yeah, because we're all cooped up inside and this is the stuff that I'm glad we're talking about because we're, everybody's going to go through this shit. Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be a baby boom in 29 at the end of the year. (laughs) It's going to be nuts. A a
1: pandemic baby. Pandemic babies
0: this is, this is why I think it's important to, to, cause we're all going to have to go within and, and figure out why we do the things we do yeah. at least instead of masking it with booze and, and whatever else, I think this is a great time. So I know that there's going to be a lot of people hearing this that are going to go, fuck, I know I'm going through that too. You know, uh, yeah. I'm at home now and <laughs> you know, like, am I making the best decisions with my time? You know?
1: Yeah. Well, they don't have to do anything, right? We don't no. need to do anything. Their no. preferences. But this yeah. is such a powerful opportunity yeah. for you to really bring all of your things back into question. The people you hang out with, the job that you're doing, the way that you play, the way that you're thinking, acting, and feeling. Are you really doing the things that you can to and uh, taking advantage of the opportunity to reevaluate yourself? Because when, when someone challenges you on a question, for example you can either feel resistance or you can see it as an opportunity to say like, Oh, I'm going to reevaluate my belief. Oh, maybe they're right. Maybe I was being a little bit more rigid on this. And then we shift. But if we just set up this wall and we just seeing through one lens, we're going to continue on with life in this, like this isn't fair to me because now I'm not making money and I'm stuck at home or you, and you're just going to keep seeing through that lens. But there's an opportunity for the shift. And you can continue to see things through the lens of before pandemic and after. And I have, a, I'm, I, I'm certain that for the vast majority of people, people are going to be a lot more, have a lot more humility, a lot more sense of collaboration and cohesion, uh, less separation, and probably more appreciation for their life than they've ever experienced. Because this feels like a tumor diagnosis for everyone. Like I, I had a tumor in my neck when I was 20, and that made everything be brought back into question. Anything I thought was actually important for the most part wasn't it was, I'm going to die and I'm scared. And in that fear, I got to see all of my fears for the first time. And it was not being able to spend more time with my parents to not have a child in my life. Uh, that was my own, that I could bring up, to not have a, a loving partner. It was all the, like the fundamental things. It's not the sixth house or the seventh mistress. It's none of those. So it's, like this is a very potent time. And like if someone shuts off all their diversions, like right after you guys, whoever is listening, decides to stop this podcast, catch yourself wanting to go to the next thing, but stay here. Really stay for the next five to seven minutes at the very least. And just sit in that chair, not looking at anything that stimulates you and see what comes up in your mind. Because a lot of the thoughts that we're discussing are primers and they're opportunities for you to really look within and feel if there's a shift that you can invite yourself to and really, if, if it's possible, start exploring it either through a pen or through your mind. Look, like I've got, I've got my thing here that I, I I'm dabbling with all the time. And this is where my thoughts just get after I'm done just ruminating here. Uh, I'll go there. I don't want to share it. Like anyway,
0: awesome. but I'd
1: invite people into this type of possibility right now. Spend some time with you in absolute solitude. Right now you're in isolation. The next step will be solitude where you have no diversions around you and that's when you're really going to feel all of your humanness and the parts of you that you've been not really giving so much time for.
0: Mm. Well said, man. It's, it's a great time. After all this stuff is passed, where is Kaveh in five years? Is it different than where you where you were before or is this going to have a massive impact on your plans for the future?
1: Okay, so I have to preface this with provided I survive. (laughs) (laughs) Provided I survive, and I'm putting the intention and energy there. I had a friend who invited me into every time I'm going to the hospital, I step into an energetic box that I step that I walk with as I'm walking into seeing patients. And then when I'm going into specific rooms, I put an extra shield up, that when I go through and I come back out, I drop that shield, but I still maintain this one in. Whether that's real or not, I'm believing for it to be true, and I'm applying that regularly. So this will be one of the, at least, systems of support to mitigate me getting smashed by this. I've already journaled an entry to the virus that said, if our bodies should meet, I would love to welcome you in. And for you to explore, but not to not to destroy. And I will invite you, You like a museum, you can come explore me, but not destroy me. And I, I, I've had this thing that I've wanted to have compassion for the virus because it just wants to survive as much as we do. So I'm being mindful of that. And in, in like thinking about five years from now, I, I feel myself playing more of a role of a servant that can heal the healers and hold space for people that I know a lot of people are able to do this, but I feel, I feel a qualitative difference, at least in my experience, with how it's really being received by others. So I'd love to see if I can really make this into a project that is going to prevent, like that brings people into greater intentionality and awareness and really serves a shift for not just the human experience, but the experience of the world that it has with humans within it. And if we can have this symbiotic relationship happening where we are aware of nature, aware of us, aware of our nature, aware of our impact on it, I think I would really love for us to be like cohesively and collaboratively making this the most important goal that we work on together for the next five years. And the most important part, enjoying it the whole fucking way, man.
0: Yeah. Well, how different is that from what it would have been a month ago? Like how different are your plans I, I i've
1: I have been enjoying my life already so much in the past year and a half has been so much deep unburdening uh, and really expanding my network of beautiful people that have come into my life. everyone is beautiful, even the most challenging ones like are not really challenging they're just people that we have to work with more of their parts in order to really get to know and for them to feel safe to open up to me mm. but I have felt this like this openness and i'm I I feel like one of the things that was missing is people were on the blinders of the autopilot and now the autopilot blinders are off. Mm -hmm. So this is going to be a very potent time for us to invite others into greater awareness, man. And like, Mm -hmm. I I feel like this was one of the components that a lot of us who work with, I don't want to say us people who work with alternative medicines to see the world with a greater, with a multiple lenses, are able to, have been asking for something of this nature, just not at the expense of other people. That's the challenging part. But I guess yeah. that's part of the lesson too.
0: Yeah, it's not the truth. It's like yeah. the universe being like, all right, guys, this is, go to your room. You've misbehaved. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, exactly. it's crazy because in every negative situation, there's a lot of positives. Yes, we are losing people, but the earth is repairing. There's so many things, positive things yeah. happening. Like, yeah, it's crazy.
1: Well, I wonder if during, during these moments, we like the governments all take notice because governments are the ones that ultimately execute things and politicians. If we created these experiences where we had five months of the year, we're working. And then on the sixth month, everyone goes into like this, not lockdown, but this re like, let the na- let nature reclaim itself. Oh, and we crazy. do this on a global scale. Imagine how powerful and potent that would be. CO2 levels drop waters clean up nature has a really good way of cleaning itself but if we keep holding it by its neck it's going to be harder for it to continue doing that right (laughs) so so like this could be something so powerful for us to instill but like it starts with greater awareness and awareness comes when people are pushed off of their autopilot and this is where we are right now so can you see and from what lens are you currently seeing your life right now that you can reevaluate what other lenses are possibilities for you that you can really realign with your truth and probably step into the most important lesson, which is you are love. I am love. We don't need to go anywhere else to search for love because we're it. Mm -hmm. And when you come to that awareness, anything that you touch are just reaffirmations of the love that you are. And you get to experience the humanness from the foundation that you are this beautiful source of all of the things that you've been looking everywhere else for
0: dude powerful man we um i want to have you on again later after all this stuff because i want to dive deeper into your story we didn't get to really get into the backstory but this is definitely we got to do a round two bro because yeah. we haven't even been able to unpack some of the stuff dude, that i you know
1: yeah, I man, I'm, I'm fine with that. I, i'd love that <laughs> if there's like one final message i guess i could share with everyone is we're in this together Can you be the greatest source of medicine for yourself, not just to attack this pandemic, this adversity, but take time for the adversity that exists within your minds, really spend some time with it. Ask people to support you if you need to and really hold space for others. The greater sense of community that you have, that you can create through the technology while we're isolated from our physical being, but still socially connected, the greater you're going to be having a nurturing experience during and after. And I'd invite everyone also to be mindful about supporting, especially people who are still going out there to maybe reevaluate staying at home. Let them, you can be medicine for them. We don't have to just listen to the doctors for sources of support. You guys can be the voice that they listen to too. Just like people listen to doctors, if someone's following you or connected with you, The suggestibility of you saying it is already a greater likelihood for them to to buy into it because they trust you already. So invite them into things that are truly nurturing, not just for you, but for all of us. And let's get through this together. I love you.
0: Well said, brother. Thank you so much. Where can we all find you? Where's the best place to check you out all your work?
1: It would be probably Instagram for now, uh, at Kaveh Kabusi. So K-A-V-E-H, K-A-V-O-O-S-I. I'm trying to be as mindful about putting just credible information data that's out there while maintaining health and the humanness throughout this whole process.
0: Yeah, I've been sending everybody I know to your, uh, to your Instagram because I think it's super informative and educational, bro. And I, I, I truly appreciate everything you're doing, man. So, fuck, well done. Thank you.
1: Thank you, brother. Uh, also, uh, drkavusi.com is going to be going up in about two weeks, so we'll see what's going to come up there.
0: Who else would you recommend for people that, if they want a couple other people to follow, who else would you say?
1: Well, the ones that we've mentioned before. Like, we don't need to be looking about the economics and all that stuff right now. I'd be, I'd be paying attention to Sam Harris's work, and if you look through his Twitter feed, he's only sharing people who are have credible sources and are sharing some deep knowledge. So I would be looking from there and then branching out. Tim Ferriss has been really uh, credible as well, too. Mm. Nassim Taleb, if you have heard of him, uh, he's author of uh, The Black Swan. And The Black Swan is a great book that speaks to the psychology of what happens during pandemics. So and I invite you into that. And probably the, like, this is biased from who I've been paying attention to. The final one would be Peter Atia. I really like how he's been, he has a team of epidemiologists that are working and in, in, in dialogue with other scientists around the world and they're only putting out proper digestible information. But I, I intend to play that role as well too, but not for the eyes to be on me, but for the message to be received by you and by the world. Mm.
0: Beautiful, man. We'll have all that in the show notes, everything nice and clear to check that out, man. And again, thank you so much. Be safe, brother. We'll have to do round two when all this stuff calms down. There's so much more I want to talk about with the economy and everything, but we'll we'll save a special one for for round two, man. Sounds good, man. Appreciate okay, Brett. Man, I appreciate you so much, dude. Appreciate you too, dude. Thanks, everybody. Make sure you do one thing for me: go follow Kaveh on Instagram. He's amazing, as you know from listening to this. And if you can, make sure to subscribe. Stay on top. We got stay on top of all the episodes. We got lots coming up. I got some amazing people booked in, and. We are also going to be featuring a bunch of the Fit for Service members once a week for the re- remainder of the nine months of the program, which is going to be cool. You guys will see. It's going to be a, a mix of so many different people, so many stories. And I was feeling called to, to do that and feature a good chunk of our members because it, it, I, I want to get to know them. And I know that we're all in this group for a reason. And having that mixed with all the other people I'm having on is going to have a great dynamic for the show and add so much value. So look forward to that. You guys, I appreciate you. Stay safe out there. Love you. Catch you next time.